0: Greetings and welcome to an odyssey into oratory. If the spirit so moves you, would you be kind enough to follow if you are listening and to subscribe if you are watching. With either, please like, comment, and most of all, share. As I'm your grateful host, Dan Riley. One early morning several years ago, I arrived at the Hilton Hotel in Anaheim, California for two days of meetings, something I'd done at different hotels up and down the California coast dozens and dozens of times. On this particular day, a group of us, friends and colleagues within the company for whom we work, gathered in a circle in the hotel lobby, talking while waiting for the day of meetings to begin, which was probably still an hour off. In the corporate world, if you are not an hour early, you are late. As our casual conversation moved from topic to topic, I shared with the group a fascinating television program I had seen the night before. It was on the daily life of for former American POWs during the Vietnam War. One former POW had a particularly interesting story. He was held in solitary confinement for three years and told the interviewer that the physical abuse was not the worst part of his confinement. Rather, it was boredom. And as a lifelong golfer, he developed a very interesting mind game to combat and ultimately defeat the boredom. He would play rounds of golf in his mind. Not just play a sporadic hole or two, but an entire 18 holes. Sometimes he would recreate rounds he already played other times he would play entirely new rounds with people he had never actually met or played with and he could play as many as three rounds a day and each would take as long in his mind as they did on an actual golf course. Once teed off, once he teed off, he would take the three or four minutes in his mind the same time it actually takes to walk to your ball in reality and recreate the experience. He would notice the wind conditions, talk to his playing partners as they walked down the fairway, marvel at the soaring hawk circling his prey, smell the maple trees. And he did this for all 18 holes, which amounted to about four hours time about as long as it takes to play an actual round of golf. And here's the fascinating part. When he got back home and played real golf for the first time in five years, his score at 85 was only three strokes higher than the 10 handicap he carried prior to going to Vietnam. Let me add this interesting caveat to the story. Regarding the meetings, the attendees were divided up into groups, A, B, C, etc., Each group was given a schedule to rotate into four or five different meeting rooms for about an hour of instructions per room. As an example, group A would start in salon E, then move to salon F, and so on. As it turned out, a couple of my friends, the ones that I was shooting the breeze with prior to the meeting starting, were assigned the same group as me. So we attended the same meetings all day long together. And I must tell you, The presenters left a lot to be desired. In fact, they were so terrible, by the end of the day, during the presentations, most of the audience were drifting into their own worlds. In one of the last sessions, I was light years away when some commotion in the room broke my trance. A hotel staffer tipped over a tray full of water glasses. As my awareness instantly returned to the meeting room, I nudged my buddy not realizing he too was in trance and said, What what happened? What's all the commotion about? He looked at me, his eyes were completely dazed over, and said, "I, I have no idea, I just birdied number 17 at Pebble Beach. A lesson he learned from the POW, and a cautionary tale for all speakers and presenters. I remember driving away from that conference with seemingly two divergent streams of thought. The first stream, why do these corporate conferences have to be so damn stale? And the other stream of thought, if imagination can have an athlete perform at virtually the same level he did five years earlier, with no practice or play in between, why is this practice not encouraged in every discipline of life? Maybe these two streams were not divergent after all. The other day I read an article in the Harvard Business Review titled, We need imagination now more than ever. 250 multinational companies were surveyed regarding what measures they were taking in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The upshot of the article was to convey how important it is to tap the imaginations of corporate employees in times of crisis management, to do things like carve out time just for reflection, in other words, do nothing but daydream. Seek out the anomalous and never-tried solutions. And how about this one? Encourage employee playfulness to stimulate imagination. Yes, as the millennials have overtaken the boomers as the preeminent generation of our time, concepts such as imagination are not quite as squeamish in the corporate world as they once were. I recently finished a book, a memoir, written 10 or 15 years ago by French journalist Jean-Dominique Boby, which, by the way, was also made into a movie. The translated title is The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Bobie, at the age of 43, suffered a massive stroke and was in a coma for 20 days. Upon awakening, he found he was suffering from locked-in syndrome. The only movement he could perform was the blinking of his left eye. At, that time, at the time of his stroke, he was on top of the world, happily married with young children and the editor of one of France's top fashion magazines. It's hard for me to imagine many people dealing with such adversity the way Bobby did. While physically incapacitated, his mind and his spirit were completely intact, and he took advantage of that. His assistant noticed he was trying to communicate with his blinking eye. A method was devised where so many successive blinks would equate to a letter of the alphabet. And for 10 months, 4 hours a day, he blinked about 200,000 times or 33,000 words to create an inspiring memoir. He not only recounts with exquisite detail what life was like in his current condition, but he also travels to the past and to the future. He dines on some of France's finest foods recounts dreams, relives some of the best moments of his childhood, has love affairs, and plays with his children. And all of this in his imagination, of course. The book title captures the dichotomy of his life after the stroke. Physically, he felt trapped under a diving bell, yet in his mind, he was a free-floating butterfly. Two weeks after Bobet's book was published, he died of pneumonia. Frank Baum, the author of The Wonderful World of Oz, wrote, Imagination has brought mankind through the dark ages to its present state of civilization. Imagination brought Columbus to America. Imagination led Franklin to discover electricity. Imagination has given us the steam engine, the telephone, the talking machines, and the automobile for these things had to be dreamed of before they became realities. So I believe that dreams, daydreams, you know, with your eyes wide open and your brain machinery whizzing, are likely to lead to the betterment of the world. The imaginative child will become the imaginative man or woman most apt to create, to invent, and therefore to foster civilization. So irrespective of our individual pursuits, dreams, and aspirations in this noisy, confused, technologically soaked world of ours, we ought never lose sight that we own free and clear one of nature's most powerful forces, our imagination. As for today and my part, that's all there is. If you are listening, please follow me on your podcast hosting site. And if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, like, comment, and most of all, share. This is Dan Riley taking you on an Odyssey into Oratory. Until next time, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails. We're on the move.